Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I like to call it, Dear Maureen and Hank. Oh, hello there. This is a podcast where uh, today I, Hank Green, and Maureen Johnson answer your questions and provide dubious advice and bring you all of the latest news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Though I don't know if Maureen has any AFC Wimbledon news, do you? I barely know what balls are, sports balls. Sports balls. You're familiar with. Listen. Do you uh, have a poem for us? I do. Uh, oh, that's good. Do. So you don't have any AFC Wimbledon news, but you will fulfill John's role of a short poem. I certainly will. Um, okay. Here is a short poem for you. Blue jean baby, L.A. lady, seamstress for the band, pretty-eyed pirate smile, you'll marry a music man. Ballerina, you must have seen her dancing in the sand. And now she's in me, always with me, tiny dancer in my hand and that was of course part of tiny dancer written by yes. bernie toppin uh the man who wrote lyrics to nearly all, uh, it's it's an extraordinarily high percentage of elton john's songs um that was beautiful that was beautiful uh uh poem and a somewhat unexpected uh direction to go in which I'm excited that, uh, yes, because who knows a bunch of short poems and is pretentious enough to talk about them on podcasts besides John Green? No one. No one. Yeah. Zero people. Zero people. Really. So uh, we have some Dear Hank and John updates. The first is that we have theme music now, thanks to Gunnarola, Andrew Gunnady, who you can see travel vlogging and making music and being awesome at youtube.com slash Gunnarola with two N's and one R and two L's. And uh, second, John Green, uh, who is the John of Dear Hank and John, is uh, in the pre-release madness of the Paper Towns movie release. And... He's gone. He's, I think he's in, in Brazil right now, and he will not be here. He will not be at his house for the next month and a half, and his house is where he records podcasts, so we are going to have a bunch of guest Johns. And the first guest John, as you probably have guessed by now, is Maureen Johnson. Can you tell us about who you are, Maureen? Sure. Uh, I'm Maureen Johnson. I'm an author. Like John, unlike John, I show up and do stuff. Um, <laughs> this is now... Hank, this is the third time that I've filled in for John it's because true. he was simply too lazy or to show up. Yeah, sort of. No. Well, don't make excuses, Hank. <laughs> he just didn't. He didn't. Is he here? No. Could he be? Well, <laughs> I mean, the first two times were because someone, not even that he was having a baby, someone else was having a baby. <laughs> just, All right. Just someone that he uh, was, have, you know, that he was closely related to through matrimony. Well, well, and I, I just want to say as a footnote, those two times I made videos and he actually told me that the reason he picked me to do it is that because I am so bad at making videos, he wanted to make sure to pick someone that wasn't so good that they they wouldn't like them better. And then they would, you know, really want him to come back. Oh, that's, and that's that is, lovely. That's a lovely thought that John. That's, yeah, that's such a nice that's thing. That's actually something he said to me. And you know <laughs> what, though? I, he was right because I, I am not good at making Videos. Well, it does sound like um, something John would say. Oh, it it is it's absolutely something he said. I you know, and I I also wrote a book with John. Um, mm-hmm. I almost said called Paper Towns, but that's not it. Uh, it's called, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I do. Uh, called Let It Snow. So yeah, 
so I did. So we have we have done that together. Yeah, and uh, you do you have? Uh, tell me about your jars. Oh, that's been a while. Um, that is a reference to people who follow me on Twitter. I spent a lot of time on Twitter, and I used to say that I would put everybody who followed me inside a little tiny jar and keep them with me forever. But I've run just out of, like on the shelf behind you. Run out of space or run out of jars. They're still metaphoric, you know. I still, in spirit, everybody's in there. But um, I've moved on to other storage, large, large storage containers, shipping containers, so things like what that. What am I so in? A very special spot in my heart. But not, I'm not in a jar or it's tupper, a, a tupperware, tupperware, okay, tupperware, small, small tupperware. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm in a okay. nice one though, not one of those ones you throw away. Which frankly make me angry. Yeah, yeah. Why is it? I? I feel bad. I get uh, you know like lunch meat now comes in this Tupperware, and you're like, I now have this, and it's not very good, but I have it, and it's clearly not just a bag, or mm-hmm. it's not a, it's it's not a disposable container, and now I have this, and I feel like I have to clean it out and keep it. But who who you know I I have to continue buying more lunch meat, uh, and the only solution I can see to this problem. Is uh, is lobbying the lunch meat companies to to have more sustainable packaging? Do you see any solution aside from that one? You know, I live in New York, which is the land of takeout, and every time you get a delivery, you basically destroy the planet every single time. You get about ninety plastic containers, mm. and then in the end, you're just like you know, and they're just for you know a handful of rice, but it's in like a huge, very kind of sturdy plastic container, and you're like, oh, I just I'm gonna just get rid of that. I guess, because I've got 600 of them. We should start a company, a business that just collects sturdy plastic containers from people in New York City and then resells them to people who are normal in other other states and, and cities. You know what? If anybody was going to do that, I think it would be you because I believe you run 20 hundred businesses at this point well that's the thing like, that you have to you know if you have an idea like that you have to like let nothing you gotta move on nothing in. stand in your way somebody's gonna do that especially now that we've said it in the podcast and they're gonna take this idea and they're gonna make dozens of dollars mm. and then we'll we'll have lost out on that opportunity you can be a hundred air or a dozen air be ambitious you know i always think of you i don't know if, if you've probably read catch 22 <laughs> and there's a character named major major that starts off sort of selling eggs off the back of a truck mm-hmm. at the beginning of the book and by the end he runs the war and you see that like he's slowly like that's how i see you in the in, but in a good way because he's a little evil but not like that you're like the good version of that you want to know uh, something about books that I have noticed about myself? Yeah. I've, I would like to learn something about books. <laughs> I've been winging this a long time, Hank. I was hoping somebody would, would come up to me and say that very sentence. I, I, for a long time, believed that if a book was assigned in class, that it was mm-hmm. definitionally an unpleasant thing to read. Oh, yeah. Sure. I think a lot of people think that. And because of that, I've never read Catch-22. Oh, it's so good. You should read it. Yeah. Uh, and and like I remember uh, when I finally read The Great Gatsby after having, you know, Cliff noted it in Cliff's noted it in, in high school. I was like, this is a very good book. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. And I was like, uh, wh- why didn't anybody tell me that this was such a such a good book? Um, I felt the same way about Fahrenheit 451, which I, I, which I read in, in high school, and I was like, you know, hated every second of it. And then I read it, and I was like, what a, tra- what a fantastic piece of literature. Who would have thought 
that this thing that everyone is forced to read is in fact quite good, and that is why they make us read it. It's true. Some of these books, though, can be confusing out of context. You know, I read, for example, uh, uh, I've just totally blanked on the title of of Ernest Hemingway's uh, 1925 novel, uh, the sun also rises, I believe, is the one I'm I'm searching for and grasping for. But I mean, the one of the major, <laughs> it just went away. I was about to really talk, you know, you know, in a way that was fancy, like your brother, and then I suddenly <laughs> forgot the title of all books. Like I was like, I don't know. I was reading some book and it had some care. I, I just forgot everything. I forgot everything. Do you know that it was published in 1925? No, no, so, no, no, 26. It was 26, but you 26. don't know the name of the book. No, it was the sun also rises. Oh, okay. It came to me as soon as I said the year. Um, okay. I was this kind of a kid. And uh, one of the major... Wow, I, I, I'm about to go right into the territory that we started this in, but one of the major things you need to know about this main character is that he was injured during the war and is... Can you say impotent in Sure, yeah. No, that's a- I just did it. Well, he is. And that's largely... Uh, that's a huge part of the book which was not something they were going to explain to us in my Catholic all-girls oh, high school. Yeah. So you spend a lot of time going, why is this guy so angry? <laughs> and why, is any, why won't he date this woman he likes? And why are all of these things <laughs> happening? Like, you know, if they leave out really important chunks of information, you may just spend a lot of time going, what? This is, this is awful. The ki- this character has no motivation. I don't understand. Yeah, he's a very, he's very strange man. Just goes around. I don't know, I don't know what he's doing. And I think something like Catch-22, you may need a lot of, a, a good bit of context. It's it's not a book that instantly, or it, it's brilliant, but it may, you know, some of these things, they don't instantly arrive with, you know, all of the, which is why, you know, Cliff Notes came around, but then right. people only read yes. the Cliff Notes. Yep. And, you know. Yes. And the circle of life continues. Also, a John song, not by Bernie Topan, though. I believe those were Tim Rice lyrics. Wow, you know a lot about Elton John. I know a lot about Elton John. <laughs> but not about books. I don't know. I know very, very little about books. I th- I've written some? That's a question. <laughs> All right. So we, uh, you mentioned earlier that you have several times replaced John Green in, in various other uh, yes. enterprises, which is why I wanted you to be the first guest, John, here on Dear Hank and John Minus John. Um, Amelia has a question uh, that is specific for you. Mm-hmm. She says, Dear Hank and Maureen, what is it like to be the actual John Green? She is referring, hi, Amelia. You are referring to the fact that the, one of the first times that when John went away for the first time, I made three videos for him, which almost killed me. <laughs> I mean, I'm really not good at this. If I ever wanted to make videos, someone would actually have to make the videos for me because I really don't know what I'm doing. I've, I've never put that on. I like I shone lights directly into the camera like there I re- tried to record an entire video sitting next to a fountain so all you hear is the fa- I really stupid and I did manage despite my ineptitude to record a music video yes and I called it actual John Green and it is this sort of riff on a Beastie Boys song called Sabotage and I just did it with it was me and I gave the camera to a friend and said follow me and we just uh we just uh made this music video and my friend Jean wrote the music and the answer to this question is it's like um, doing all the work but without any of the perks so I'm not (laughs) hanging out with celebrities Um, uh, you know I'm not 
I'm not hanging out with celebrities, I think is one of the major complaints I have. And I truly <laughs> believe that even if they, because they, there's this possibility that Let It Snow will be made into a movie. And I fully expect that articles will read written by John Green and some randos. Right. And you'll just see us like, you'll see a hand in the corner of the photo in the back and that'll be us. So, um, <laughs> but I'm okay with that. I'm All actually right. fine with that. Um, He's a lovely guy is John. He's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, but but being being the uh, the temporary replacement for him, does it leave you feel feeling uh, unsatisfied? It doesn't. You know what? It's it's an honor. Okay. It is an honor and a privilege. I mean, he's a nice. He's you know what? Your brother's a nice guy. I'm glad you think so. I I, I agree. Do you? I do. Yeah. I mean, sometimes he's my brother, you know, and I'm like, oh God, shut up. But mm-hmm. he's a nice guy. Well, we all think that. Yes. But I mean, it's you know, to be fair, you know. But I mean, he gets around your brother. I mean, you know, you don't, I don't ever feel like, whew, you know, if only there were just more John Green articles in my life. Like, I'm like, this guy, (laughs) this guy. All right. Enough with this. Um, I I have a question that is not a question. It's just my question. Who's the, who do you think is the most famous person you've ever met? Probably John Green. Really? Um... Oh, now I'm thinking, I, I mean, I've probably met a few well, you know what? He's getting famousy. I may- yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he's getting kind of you know he's in the time one hundred and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, like every time I read about mm-hmm. you or your brother doing something, I'm always doing something really wretched, like <laughs> looking for something in the garbage or you know. <laughs> it's like you've accidentally thrown away your contact lens. Yeah, and you're just like, well, I guess I could probably save it. <laughs> It was like the day I, I have a really beautiful necklace and I accidentally vacuumed it up and I had to cut open a vacuum cleaner bag oh, yeah. and search through the, the dust mm-hmm. to find my necklace, like some sort of weird gem hunter. And, and then like John Green comes on NPR and is like, oh, hello. Yeah, no, he's like on the Today Show in the background. <laughs> yeah. That is what it feels like, but it's in, a, it's in a good way. I don't think I'd be good at those things, so I'm kind of glad he, he's... You know. Yeah, I, I'm super glad that I don't have to do that that stuff either. And it's it is a weird thing to have my brother uh, showing up in in those strange places. But um, uh, but yeah, I it's I do not find myself envious of it. I uh, I met uh, Will I Am this this weekend and in France, and so that and uh, and like before then, I really wasn't sure if like it was John. Or if it was Will Wheaton, or if it was Brent Spiner, or like any of the various other like famous nerds mm-hmm. that I've met, who are famous for being nerds. Yeah. Like I've met lots of those people, but I met Will I Am, and I'm like, you're more famous than any of the famous nerds that I that I hang out with. Yeah, he, you know, that's the thing. R- real famous people have that kind of you know otherworldly glow. I mean, I did. I had a. I worked on a weird conference once in Vegas where I met the first George Bush and Jay Leno in the space of like mm. three hours. Oh yeah. Well, George Bush is definitely more famous than John Green. Probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, what? Yes. Well, he was, was the he? president. Yeah. <laughs> is John not the president? I'm not sure. I, <laughs> All right. I don't You're probably, yeah. Like he's on the phone to the president, you know, uh, it's, it's, he's, it's ridiculous, but it's actually reached the point yeah. now where I just sort of assume that I'm going to see, you know, as I, I said to John when The Fault in Our Stars came out, that if they didn't project the image of the okay, okay onto the face of the moon, then he was a failure. <laughs> and uh, it didn't happen, so he failed. 
We're going to stop talking about John. He's not here. This isn't about him, Hank. Yeah, this is... Yeah, why are we talking about John? He's like a ghost. He's like... You, ha- he's haunting us. Yeah, gross. It's like a gross, smelly ghost. Do, do you want to give us a question? Uh, it asks Maureen, how do you live in London and America? Do you have some kind of weird dual citizenship? And allow me to ask this, how do I get this? I don't live in London and America. I only live in America. But you were always... Go- and for a while... I mean, this isn't the case anymore, but for a while, you were you were in London, like, every other week. Yes. Yeah. And there, there's a reason for that. And, it, you know, it's it seems like I might be a spy or yes, something. Yes, I, I, I am. I am a spy. You're not allowed to say that as a spy, just to be clear. For the first, like, spy lesson number one is is never say, it seems like I might be a spy. Like, don't... Just don't bring that up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. But anyway, sorry, you've ruined your spy status, so you're not a spy anymore. I go to I go to England still. My partner is English, and so I, right. for many years we lived in two separate places. So I would go there, he would come here, but I would go there more because my job is weirder, and I'm a writer, so I <laughs> you know I don't have to go to an office. Sometimes I go to offices and they say, please leave. And I, yeah, can I stay? <laughs> and I stay there and I get in like to the closets and stuff. And I can stay there for a while sometimes before they find me. But in general, I'm not supposed to go to offices. So, but he has to go to one every day um, because he makes video games. So they make him, they make him go to an office. And now he lives here and he goes to an office. But so. you didn't have any like green card problems with that. They didn't try to kick you out of the country. They didn't try to kick me out of the country. I, everything, you know, I, I legally entered you know, each time, which is good. And they did start asking me more and more personal questions. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how serious are you about this relationship? Really? Yeah. The yeah, customs no. guy was like, yeah. so how serious are you about your relationship? Because yeah. I am not doing anything after work. Well, <laughs> well yeah. He's a customer. Oh, did I mention he's a customs guy as well? Um, but he, yeah, no, they would ask, they would ask things like this. And they ask you, especially if you're a writer, you get asked all kinds of weird, because it's a dumb job to have. And <laughs> I've gotten lots of questions like, you're a writer, what do you write, books? One of the first questions, have I heard of you? Mm, I'm oh, going to wow. go with no. <laughs> Since you're holding my passport, looking at me, looking at my name, looking at my photo and saying, do I know you is probably no. Um, and one guy, when I went back to New York, and I was really jet-lagged and half asleep, and it was like, in my mind, four in the morning, and he said, so do you write good books? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? You should be more confident. Say you write great books. I was like, what? And he's like, say you write great books. And he wouldn't stamp my passport until I said I was a great writer. <laughs> so it's not just an immigration service. It's also a self-esteem yeah, course. There's yeah. self-confidence boosters. And, and also, now you have... Customs certified by the United States of America, a, a, a stamp that says you are a great writer. It's I just think, a smiley I, face. I think that's what that means. It's a smiley face on a book. Yeah. I'm not sh- 100% sure I was in immigration. I was really tired. But <laughs> yeah, so that, that's the answer to that one. All right. Um, Hannibal asks, dear Hank and John, I'm a high school student and I'm being passive aggressively pressured by my parents to get a job for the summer. Personally, I'd like to get a job so that I can save up to move out in a couple of years. So I ask you, oh, wise people I found on the Internet, what are some good methods or strategies for finding a job? If it helps, some of my skills include video editing, short story writing, a knowledge of how computers work, also competence. But that's mm. uh, sort of, but that's, 
sort of necessary for working. No, that's uh, not. I would, I would really argue with that last one. I have a lot of thoughts about this. Do you? Do you? I, I mean, so I, I would say that the number one most important thing on the list of things that you just listed was competence. Like, like that's the one because you're not going to, uh, as a, as a high school student, you're not probably not going to find a, a high skilled job in the in the writing or video editing areas. Though I encourage you to try, but just being generally competent and thoughtful, uh, that's gonna that's gonna be the thing that gets you the job uh, at the entry level position. Yeah, I've had I've had a lot of I've had so many jobs. I mean, I went to school for I went to art, you know, art school basically. I was I was an English major and then I went and got an MFA in New York. So I was a theater and writing student in an MFA program, which means that I was broke and had to do anything and I had a couple and I'd moved to New York which is just the most expensive place you can live so um, my policy was I would do any job and I had really dumb weird jobs and I walked into New York without a job and I said I am going to get the weirdest job I can find and I got it through lying (laughs) (laughs) Um, which honestly you shouldn't do but you know you shouldn't do it if like you're a surgeon (laughs) but you can maybe do it if it's like well, it's really, no, it's about like, do you know enough? Like, do, are you empathetic enough to know the lie to tell? Yes. And if you can tell a really good lie that's not going to get anybody in trouble and it's not going to hurt anybody, then you're displaying a kind of competence in, uh, in communicate. It's a communication skill. Yes. Lying. Don't, yeah, don't lie. Except it turns out the only way to get a restaurant job in New York is to lie and say you've worked there before. So you have to say, of course. And so I made a resume with all of these restaurants in England because I'd studied there, knowing that because at the time there was no like Skype or anything and knowing that they wouldn't call. Mm. And so I, I had this because I'd worked some of them. I just really extended the times and then I fully made up about three of them. But I walked in with an air of total confidence. But I want to also explain that I was trying to get a waitressing job in a haunted house restaurant. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was not trying to get a job in air traffic control. I was literally trying to... It was the most amazing job I've ever had. Because that place was loaded down. It just closed. I'm so sad. It was loaded down with uh, microphones and video cameras and little things on the wall, like animatronic skeletons and stuff. So we, so people upstairs could spy on all the customers. Oh, my God. And we knew what they were doing. So we knew if they were complaining and things. Because we could say, like, turn on the rhinoceros on table 42. And then the rhinoceros. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I have a lot of stories That's- about this. That seems that seems illegal. Oh no, you know, you went in knowing that all of the things on the walls oh, were because okay. they talked. They the thing was it was fun because you'd go you'd go there because it would suddenly spring alive and suddenly the skeleton would talk to you. Right, it would like respond to something you were saying. Yeah, and it was supposed to catch you off guard, like, "Hey, give me a fry," and then you'd be like, "Oh, it's so scary." But also, the skeleton was listening to see if you were going to send back those appetizers. <laughs> I love that. So we would kind of know, like, you know, 42 is going to send back their appetizers. And, like, it was the weirdest, dumb. I encourage having lots of stupid jobs. Don't worry if you get, like, a, a dumb job or what seems like a gross job. Or I've had so many dumb and gross jobs. They are the best jobs you can possibly have. Um, I miss waitressing because it's so, like, you you had to learn to read people really quickly. You had to learn to kind of live on a day-to-day. Like, the money I took home in my pocket was what I lived on. And I really had to scramble to earn my money and, like, do a good job. And the, I learned a lot of people skills. And um, mm-hmm. some of the best stories I have are from my kind of dumb, you know, weird, like, picking up garbage at Sesame Place <laughs> was the job I had. <laughs> I watched someone punch Grover once. 
That's something I saw. Was was Grover, was there a hand in Grover? Was Or was Grover animatronic? No, like a person was inside of a giant costume. Oh, people, a big giant Grover. Yeah, people regularly hit costume characters. It is terrible. I was a mascot. Um, I was the high school mascot in my high school, Willie the Wildcat. And I uh, I would get beat by little children. They, like, you know, it was an expensive suit. And yeah. I was told to, like, protect the suit with my life yeah. and not let anyone hurt the suit. And when they would, like, pull the tail of the suit, I, like, what are you going to do? Hit a child? Like, I can't communicate. I'm wearing a wildcat costume. And uh, so I just had to, uh, you know, like, wag my wildcat finger at them. And that was all I could do. Yeah, I I did not like that. People Um, take out a lot of aggressions on costume characters. I did it once when I worked for a theater festival. They called me at 5 in the morning and they said, morning, get down here because... The guy we hired is too big. So you're small. Come over here and get in the costume. And they put me in a cat in the hat costume that you saw out of the neck. So it like had another mm-hmm. head on top of my head. And then yep. they just, you're supposed to have someone with you. But they just sent me out on the streets of Philadelphia in 100 degree temperatures. And I remember wandering into the road. And I couldn't see where I was going. And I walked into the side of a building. So... You know, these are the times I cherish. So go out there. You know what? Just go out there. Ask people about jobs. I think it's fine to sort of go into places you're interested in or just, Mm -hmm. you know, if there's like a little shop in your town or whatever, like go in and just start asking people if they're hiring. And, you know, that's that's really how I think it's done. Yeah, I I did that um, to get jobs as well. And I found it very terrifying to like walk into a place and be like, okay, accept me, make me your person and uh and choose pick me uh but yeah that it's normal they're used to it and you may have this feeling when you walk in the door because you you know like where i live there are a lot of the store called wawa which is a convenience mart and when i went in normally i didn't think about it but when i went in to ask for a job it suddenly seemed like i was walking into the white house (laughs) like it suddenly will seem like oh i have to be on my best behavior i'm in a wawa (laughs) you know like it suddenly seems all different that's normal. Don't worry about that. Just like be like, oh, I'm in getting into mm-hmm. a different mindset. Just ask them if they have an mm-hmm. application. I have another question. This one is from Nick. Nick says, dear Hank and Maureen, would you rather have the ability to turn everything you touch into Dwayne the Rock Johnson or have every song you listen to sound like Smash Mouth's All Star? Oh, God. This is. You OK? This, this is dark. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the thing that I uh, noticed about this question, it says it says that either you have the ability to turn everything you touch into Dwayne the Rock Johnson, or you have to have every song you listen to sound like Smash Mouth's All Star. And if it's the ability, if I can choose, then I would definitely choose the Dwayne the Rock Johnson power because basically that changes my life not at all. I will just choose to never exercise that ability. No, I, I got to go the other way. Why are you afraid it's gonna you're gonna accidentally turn someone into Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Well, one for sure I am, <laughs> for sure I am. Like I'm going, you know, it's always that time that you're not paying attention, <laughs> and you're gonna turn something into Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> It's just, it's going to be, ma, uh, and you've done it, and she's the rock. However, so you kind of ruined the world, because you know what? The rock is great, but what's so great about the rock is that there's one of him. You know, like, if it was too many rocks, yeah. Yeah. But the only person suffering with the second one, and I do agree this is is suffering, is you, if every song you hear just sounds like Smash Mouth's 
All-Star. Well, the thing is, I like that song, but I still wouldn't want every song I listen to to sound like it. That song is a really, like, notoriously terrible earworm. I mean, that is Mm -hmm. just even, I've said it now, and that's, that's two weeks gone. Well, have you ever listened to Neil Cesariga's mouth sounds? No. Well, next time you're on a road trip uh, or on an airplane, it's really great road trip music, actually. I, that, w- that would be my suggestion. If you're ever on a road trip, uh, download Mouth Sounds by Neil Cesariga. It is a, uh, a, a, a mix. Um, what do they call it? A mashup mix. That's what it's called. And it's just wonderful. I don't think it's called a mashup mix. Whatever. It? I don't. It's it's it it's a like mix just, of mashups. A, a bunch of phrases together. What do you call? What do kids call it? A mix mash? A monster mash? <laughs> a mix monster mash? It's uh, definitely a mix mash. Is uh, it a blendini? Is it a? <laughs> uh, and it's uh, it is uh, all star is central to it, and uh, and it is really really pleasant to listen to and 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 hilarious. That song was featured in every movie made between like 1995 and 1998 as well. I yeah, I think that the folks from Smash Mouth did okay. That they actually even appear, I remember this vividly. They even appear in a movie playing yes, it's in Rat Race. The, it's in yes. Rat Race at the end of they Rat do, Race. They go yes. to a concert. They're all forced to go at the end of this terrible movie. They're all forced to go to a Smash Mouth concert. <laughs> it's not a terrible movie. It's it's not a terrible movie. I love rat, I love Rat Race. Uh yeah, it, it, I do like it too, but I'm the the actual events are terrible. Like imagine oh like having to do all this stuff and at the end you also have to go to a Smash Mouth concert. They seem so happy though. The problem they, is they have to give the money away. Actors actors have to like they're like, oh I'm so happy to be dancing around All Star. Hey no, you're an all star. Put your pants on. You now know, it's just... in everybody's head. And, head. and also, we can't we can't put this podcast mm-hmm. up because you sang uh, All Star. So you've ruined the copyright. Oh, I'm, no. I'm kidding. It's fine. Sing all you want. Oh, well, good, because I have a whole songbook here. I just, <laughs> let me get to my piano. <laughs> this episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets... Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Do you want to get us another question? I do. As soon as I scroll down. Now, I, now I'm ready. 
Dear Hank and John, this is from Catlin. Considering humans cannot see every color. What? <laughs> well, news to me. I have that new Apple screen that shows all the colors, even the ones that, oh, right, you can't see. What happens to all the unseeable colors? Do we just see them as white, black, or clear? Do you think scientists will find a way to genetically modify our eyes to see those colors? Seems like it is a question for me. Oh, I don't know anything about science. So so what Maureen was surprised to hear is that there are colors that we can't see. That's not really true, because the word color is uh, is is almost is like by definition a a thing that we can see but there are but but like scientifically a color is a wavelength of light uh and it is being detected by our eyes it's a, a visual representation of a certain wavelength of radiation and uh there are far more wavelengths of radiation than the ones that we can see the visible light portion of the electromagnetic spectrum is very small um and uh, and so there are there are lots of wavelengths that are outside of what the receptor in our eyes is actually able to uh, to, to like detect and, and it will trigger an action potential. So uh, action potential being the uh, the, the ne- neuronal ne- uh, signal that gets sent to your brain and interpreted as color. Uh, so since we only have uh, receptors, we have like the rods and the cones, we only have receptors for certain wavelengths. Uh, there are wavelengths outside of that, and those do not trigger the action potential. And so if you were in a room with a light bulb that shined only light in that uh, undetectable by us frequency, it, we, you would appear to be in a dark room. You would, not, you would not detect anything unless it was a really high energy and it was like actually ionizing something in your eyeballs and making you see glowing, in which case you have other things to worry about, like you're probably going to get cancer. Um, so we see unseeable colors as black and as for whether or not genetically, uh, genetic modification could allow us to someday see those colors. Yeah, that's a thing that could happen. Uh, but it would not be a huge benefit partially because the majority of the, uh, light of the radiation in, in and around us is in the visible spectrum. And that's because most of the other radiation is either absorbed by the atmosphere or not emitted by the sun in the first place. So the reason we can see in the visible spectrum you know, this like narrow band is because that's actually where most of the radiation around us uh, uh, lies. There's some in the ultraviolet and some in the infrared as well, but um, we mostly don't. It, it's not there isn't that much of that sort of radiation, though there is enough that you should wear sunscreen. I just want to add: the other day I went to a 3D movie, but I didn't know it. I just thought I was buying tickets to a regular movie. And when I got there, they were like, do you want 3D glasses for your 3D movie? And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize I bought tickets to a 3D movie. And I just sort of want to complain that I think that sometimes they should make it more clear because you don't always want to go see a 3D movie sometimes. Is that part of the answer? Does that does that kind of... Are you aware that I, I uh, sell a product that allows you to watch 3D movies in 2D? I am aware of that. That okay. was one of the first times I said Hank is an actual proper genius (laughs) well thank you very much and at when i was going to see my 3d movie where i lost my 3d glasses three times on the way it was a weird afternoon and there was this paper towns poster there that had the disappearing margo Mm -hmm. in it so i was like oh this whole movie theater is doing crazy crazy things to my eyes today and that's something about eyes 
Yes, eyes. It has to do with eyes. It's not the same thing that you said. It's a completely different set of phenomena. I was really annoyed at Apple when they were like, we have made this computer with these these colors and this screen is so good that you literally will not be able to see or perceive the changes we've made because they are too good for your fragile <laughs> human meat sacks. <laughs> I had not... I did not hear that. Uh, oh, yeah. When they came out with the retina display, they I, maybe they didn't because it was Oscar, my partner, who is this, who is the science nerd of our household and was like, you know, some of these changes we will never be able to perceive. They like have to upgrade human bodies before yeah. before people will be able to enjoy the upgrade to their phone. We are a bunch of dumb meat sacks with eyes are just basically big jelly balls. And we are not good enough for these products. All right. Give us another question, Maureen. Sophia asked, Dear Hank and John, I am terrified that I will finish high school, go to college, get a job, get married, have some kids, wrinkle up, and die. The average progression of adulthood terrifies me. I want to make a spectacular impact on the world, but it seems like those dream jobs where your life makes a difference to the world are hard to come by. Is it impossible to hope my life does not become normal? If not, how should I go about making that dream a reality? That's a great question. Uh, I will say that it's real easy to look at the, at like the very sort of surface level things that we know about the people around us and the people we like see at the grocery store and the stories that we sort of imagine about all of the folks that live in the world and, uh, and just assume that their lives are boring. And that there's that they have this like typical progression of life and it's just like a movie that you've already seen and you're like, well, I know I know how this ends. So why even bother? Um, But in fact, that's not how anybody's life is. And I think that most people, maybe even all people have lots of weird, spectacular things that happen in their lives and contribute greatly to the human endeavor. Um, That's. That that my, my yeah so my take on that is uh is that you will uh that uh, my take on that is that um those those ways to live your life and not just jobs but general life things that make a difference to the world aren't aren't hard to come by and it it, it is not impossible to believe that your life will have an impact and uh, in fact, it, it will likely happen even if you aren't trying. But it is good to be driven and tried to, to have those impacts because, uh, you know, it will drive you to do more interesting and weird things. I had this, this was, this question was basically my fear through all of high school. I was, well, not even fear. I was just very determined that I was not going to, you know, that that wasn't going to happen to me. And uh, what Hank just said, I, I agree with a, a million I mean, my mother, for example, is a nurse, and she's always like, oh, my job is so run-of-the-mill, I'm just a nurse. But no, it's not. What she does is extraordinary. I mean, one of my mother's days is, like, so much more. <laughs> I mean, she's someone severs a finger, she's getting a finger out of a machine, she's, like, resuscitating someone. Like, she's she's doing all of these things that... Wait, she's getting a finger out of a machine? Yes. They have, like, a vending machine of fingers? They do have that. Okay. They have that now. They have those now. Don't you have those? We have those in New York. It's, it's like uh, it's like those new things that like will fix your espresso just the way you want it. It's like just program in you, you, the finger you need. We just eat fingers here. Um, <laughs> no, where my mother works, I don't want to say too much about this. That she works in a a school setting where there are mach- where there's machinery, and she has had to do things like oh get severed fingers out, and she's she's had to do she does a lot of kind of extreme stuff, and. Um, 
I think what she does is so exceptional and so amazing. And I'm just so, I really am in awe like of what she does. Uh, but I, I went to, you know, I, I went to a Catholic girl school and they made us take a class called marriage and it was taught by a nun. And that first of all, right there, I seem to be, you know, I, the humor of that was not lost on me at the time. <laughs> and I, Spent every single day sitting in marriage class taught by a nun, just staggered by where I was. I, for, for as far as I was concerned, all of high school was just someone trolling me. And defacing my marriage book. Just making fun of everybody in the pictures. <laughs> and, um, I would just say, don't, you know, these things that seem ordinary are truly, when they happen to you, exceptional. And just... You, you kind of make your own luck and you make your own chances. So you have to sort of not be afraid to veer from the path a little bit. Um, you know, you, you have to... That, that ability to kind of step out and say, I don't really care if I look stupid. I don't really care if I have to seem like I have to prove anything to anybody. That just takes a little bit of courage sometimes. Um, and sometimes you have to do stuff that you're like, oh, I'll never get out of here. I'll do lots of dumb jobs forever and... That's not true. Like you, you can you sometimes have to work your way to these places that are the more unusual jobs. You don't mm -hmm. sort of land there overnight either. So don't worry if it doesn't happen like overnight. Because I think a lot of people are like, I am twenty one and not a celebrity yet. I'm going to this is awful. <laughs> like no, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Just run. you're fine. And the other thing to remember is like uh, that that the getting married and having some kids like those are. Really remarkable those are, things. Those are some remarkable things. Yeah. And when you do that, you can get someone else to make your videos for you. What do you mean? Like I should have kids so that so that my child will make my videos for me? Well, you could do that. I meant that you know, specifically your brother. Oh, John, I would never let John make my videos for me. He's not even that good at it. Oh, that I'm not even going to bother to correct <laughs> you or like go back because that is just just boom. You just you just Hank stamp that. You're like, damn, you know, boom. You drop the mic. You walked away. <laughs> that was. Just, this is why. You, this is why you're the more popular. Brother. It's just brotherly love. <laughs> yeah. The thing. The thing is, the nice thing about John being much more popular than me is that I can say mean things about him, and it doesn't seem that mean because, like. He's John Green. I will tell you a true story about, because he's a lovely guy. One time we, I was out with John and his editor, and for some reason, we decided to see if we could get into a who could punch John Harder in the arm contest, which he fully allowed. He's like, go ahead. And so Julie punched him in the arm, and I punched him in the arm, and we were like, who did it harder? And then he was like thinking about it, and we just kept kind of hitting him in the arm. <laughs> and he was fine with it. He seemed, he was like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of a tie. And... Because he's just a lovely person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He's, he's like a gentle giant. You're both very tall. To all of the people out there, if you ever see John Green, don't punch him in the arm. Don't punch him in the arm, <laughs> even if he lets you, because he looked really sad, and I think we may have like kind of bruised his arm. Like We were not trying to hurt him. We just sort of wanted to see which one of us could hit harder. You weren't trying to hurt him. You were just hurting him. I also don't hit very hard, honestly. Like I... I I'm not, I don't possess a great deal of arm strength. Julie, however, I think does. Mm -hmm. And that, that must have hurt. I think on my side, there was probably not a lot of, you know, I, I'm the person who can never get a jar open. I'm, you know, I'm not, you can easily defeat me in arm wrestling and other arm sports. So 
Yes, right. He's a, he's a lovely Be- guy. But I think it's important, Hank. I think it's very, very important that when this podcast comes out, no matter what happens, you have to tell him there was a huge spike in popularity right. when he went away and when I, okay, when I filled in. Okay. Well, I think what we have to do is we ha- like, in order for that to happen, people like that has to be true. So people should tell all of their friends to download the podcast, even if they're not going to listen to it. Oh, absolutely. But also to tell them to listen to it because aren't we just so charming? You guys are very charming. Well, I'm, I mean, you and me. I, I'm not going to speak to that. I'm not going to speak to it, Hank. I know that you're charming. I've seen your videos. I've seen you in person. I've seen uh, you guys are very charming people. You're nice people. That's why people like you. You don't. You you're you're not going to accept your own charm. I don't have any proof of it. I have a scientific mind. <laughs> you need. <laughs> All right. Uh, Iman asks, dear Hank and John, so it's Ramadan at the moment, a month in the Islamic year when people fast during daylight hours, but my mom has made the call that I need nutrition and can't fast, so I've decided to give up music instead. Music is in my blood. I am a pop chart geek, so I need time fillers that don't have music. Uh, First, I apologize for our theme music. I hope I didn't prevent you from listening to the podcast or ruin anything for you. Uh, second, I think that this is a really cool idea um, to, to extend the, the spirit of Ramadan outside of the constraints of your situation. And I think that not listening to music is an interesting thing. Uh, like, in general, not, do, like, not doing something that is like sort of your thing for a while to like, see what other things there are that might be your things. I think that's a cool idea. Uh, so, Maureen, any, any things? For uh, you know, this it's a hard because I feel like I don't have the the qualifications, the knowledge to answer this question. But um, I would say that I hope that during this time you are not approached with this whole question about whether or not all the songs you you hear sound like All Star by <laughs> Smash Mouth. Well, that's not actually wouldn't be a problem at this point because uh, there are there are no songs that she's hearing. Yeah, I'm just saying if anybody approaches you, that full stop, like. Don't don't agree to it. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. In general, if if it's a, if it's a would you rather, always make sure first that we're talking hypotheticals here, and that you're not actually going to bestow me the power to turn anything I touch into Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Which, of course, being that I like my foot is currently touching my leg, I might accidentally turn myself into Dwayne the Rock Johnson, which would be really confusing for me and my wife. And all of my viewers on YouTube. It's the first thing that would happen. I mean, yeah. like, you'd just, you know, go to move your hair or something or in your sleep, you know. <laughs> and then suddenly you wake up and you're Dwayne The Rock Johnson and then you're done. Like, it's just done. The huge problem with me becoming Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be I would immediately, like, I would exercise the current amount. So, I, like, over the course, like, I would not start to exercise rock-level exercise. I would just diminish in size until I was, like, the sad, skinny rock. And everybody would be like, oh, there's Hank. He's, like, he look, like, he's genetically identical to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but he looks so very, very soft. Do they call him gravel or something or pebble? <laughs> Some sort of diminutive nickname. Hank, Hank the Pebble Johnson. Hank the the the, the small stone. <laughs> just mud. It's it's just <laughs> tiny tiny rocks in water. Clay. Yeah. <laughs> Fish gravel. Well, I uh, in, in response to this question, I would say uh, podcasts 
for one. You're listening to one right now. There are lots more, mm. and they do have uh, theme music, but I think that's not in the spirit of what you're trying to do here. Uh, I, there are many podcasts that I would suggest you listen to. There's actually a really interesting podcast in which they dissect songs uh, that probably would not be in the spirit of what you're trying to do. But there's lots of podcasts about lots of fascinating things. There's also lots of YouTube videos and movies, and, and uh, you go see some stand-up comedy, maybe. Um, uh, like that's Reading. A, dating? Reading. R- but you can also go dating, <laughs> but I mean reading. Yeah. Yeah, reading you is good. Just, I, don't, I don't know. Just spend your time dating. Just date everything. <laughs> seems... It uh, seems... More, more than anything else, that just seems very tiring. Yeah, uh, exhausting. Call up Dwayne The Rock Johnson and see if he'll go on a date with you. Th- that's one thing you can what do. What would it take, do you think, to get, to get The Rock to go on a date with you, Maureen? Like, I, I don't think it would happen for me, but, but for you. If you wanted to, like, really badly go on a date with Ooh. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, what would, you, what would you do? Oh, that is not something I've thought about. Um, I imagine I would have to be... Uh, he seems like a nice person. He does seem like a very nice person. He seems like a nice... So I, I think I'd have to do something kind of... I would have to get in the news for something like rescuing a bunch of puppies. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I want to be somebody... You know, you, you need something like that. Oh, you're the person that rescued all those dogs from the hot air balloon. Like, you know, that you... <laughs> and then everyone would want to hang... It, you know, it was like Sully Sullenberger, the guy who landed the plane on the Hudson. Like yeah, I, he could probably date The Rock if he wanted to. I would love to. He is my imaginary boyfriend. I'm always like, you landed a plane on the Hudson. Like, you're the best. Sully. Sully can, you know, Sully can do anything he wants. Okay? Sully's a great man. <laughs> All the clubs, you know, the, the velvet rope comes back for Sully. Right. So, I just don't think that maybe that's his, uh, his bag. He seems like he's just above all of that. Yes. I think he just spends his nights doing good deeds. Yeah, I would I try have... to. I would try to lure the rock with good deeds. Right. Okay. No, I, that's a that's a that's a good thought. I actually have a friend who's met the rock, so you're only two degrees. I'm practically there. I should make it like my thing. Yeah. I mean, I. Isn't he? He's probably married. He's probably married. I know nothing about the rock's personal life. Hmm. Fact. No, I don't know. But he seems like he'd be married. He's the oh, he is. Oh, he's not married. He, he is divorced in 2008. Well, then I, I better get to work. <laughs> <laughs> I better look for a, a burning, you know, puppy orphanage or something. Like I, that's how I would do it. I think, I think it is always good to just do a bunch of good deeds and then people will look at you. And do you, so you do, you've done good deeds for the right reasons, but also people will look at you and go, hey, there's a do-gooder. Yeah, and, and The Rock will say... You know, you and I, we, we like to do some of the same, same things. Uh, making the world a better place. Yeah. Maybe we I, should go get a drink. I w- or another thing I could do is, like, have, get stuck under a really heavy thing. Like, <laughs> just, ne- just make sure you're nearby the rock. Yeah. And I then you be- get a rock, a really heavy rock that only the rock can lift yeah. stuck on you. Yeah. And then once he saved you, you'd be like, I feel indebted to you. I need to buy you a drink. It's super complicated, but it would probably work. No, that is a great, great plan. You just have to kind of, you have to really stay pretty close to the rock and you have to (laughs) be willing to put up with a certain amount of... um, Grievous bodily harm. Pressure. You know, like, this is terrible, but in the Salem witch trials, one of the people accused was pressed to death. Oh. 
And apparently his last words were, more weight. Ah. And I believe that that is possibly the situation you might end up in while trying to lure the rock while right. under a rock. Uh-huh. You'd be like, he's not paying attention yet. He does not see me in enough yeah. plight. Yeah. It can't be like a paperweight. It has to be like something out of Roadrunner, like a rock. <laughs> what if it was just the rock? What if the rock fell on top of you? That's what you need to do. You need to, you need to be standing mm. in front of the rock, have someone trip the rock, and the rock, rock lands on you, and then he feels bad for hurting you. And then he takes you out for the drink. I think another thing, you lay on the ground in front of... You lay on the ground and wait for the rock to come by. So if, if I come to New York City tomorrow, will I just see you laying on the sidewalk? Yeah. But that's, that's what I do. I mean... That's not unusual. No, that's not unusual at all. Um, that's not unusual. Uh, that's, that's just, you know. So yeah, Thursday. if you come yeah. over, that's, yeah. You'll, I'll tell you where to find me because I could be in a number of different places. Number of different places on the ground. Just on the okay. ground. Okay. Sure. Great. Well, uh, in the meantime, Maureen Johnson, do you have any news to share from us, uh, from, uh, AFC Wimbledon? Cause John's not here to give us that fascinating, uh, dis- obscure Football trivia. You know, at living with an English person, I I occasionally hear words about football. That's all I have to say about that. Give me some football words, then. Uh, you say things like, "Come on, England." He says that a lot. What does he say when he's sad about it? Uh, he just sort of makes a noise like, "Ah," oh, just pretty typical, really. Yeah, yeah. He, English people. I will say this about English people: English people don't give you a straight answer about anything. So. <laughs> It's hard to get – and English people, if you're listening, you know. They're like, yeah, she's got a point. Because if you say something to Oscar like, do you want cheese on your sandwich? He won't say, yes, I'd like cheese or no, I don't want cheese. He'll say, the thing about cheese is – and then you'll get like a nine to ten minute lecture on cheese. And you'll be like, great, do you want cheese? And they'll be like, well, you know, we can't really know anything about cheese, truly. And they will not sort of tell you ever, just forever, you're just – You'll go insane trying to get a straight answer. Uh, but football is one of the few things where they do seem to kind of really give you their, their true mm, emotions. Mm-hmm. I believe it exists in order for English people to just say yes or no in a kind of clear way. Like, yes, I am happy you kicked that ball into that net. No, I am disappointed with your actions for failing <laughs> to kick the ball into the net. You are a failure to me and your country. Well, I feel like actually I may have learned more from your football news than from John's just because I, I really do need a base level uh, of instruction here. Uh, I feel like I'm jumping in at, at way too high a level when John talks about AFC Wimbledon. Yeah, it, it, you know, it is beautiful. I have watched the World Cup and I was like, this seems like it would be, you know, a good sport to know anything about. But I don't I don't know anything about any sports to watch them. Truthfully, I am that horrible person who just mm-hmm. doesn't just doesn't know i feel like i'm sort of missing a a gene or something like i can tell it's really good and fun but yeah i think it's okay i think you got other things that you can that you can be excited about and and do with your time but i just like to be excited about more stuff well do you want to be excited about mars i would never go to mars hank no i agree i would also never go to mars okay well i'm perfectly prepared to be excited about it as long as i don't have to go there okay um 
Uh, in, in Mars news this week, NASA is developing a tiny ultralight plane that could be packed onto the next Mars mission with the ability to fly up, 20, up to 20 miles before, uh, before landing on the surface of Mars after the, the rover portion of the mission is deployed. It would be folded up inside of the ballast that's ejected before the rover lands, and it would be uh, able to deploy after landing. Uh, it would weigh 2.6 pounds. Uh, so a t- it's very small, and it's like two feet long, and it would be able to fold up into a CubeSat configuration. It wouldn't add any cost to a fu- future mission, and they're currently testing similar configurations here on Earth where there's a lot more atmosphere and a lot more gravity, so they'd have to change the thing a little bit. And also a big problem is that the Earth version navigates with GPS, but there is no GPS system on Mars yet because you need all the satellites to make GPS system. Uh, so they have to develop a new kind of navigational system if they want to uh, fly the first plane on Mars in the next Mars mission that NASA will be sending, which might launch as soon as 2022. Do you think they're really going to do the thing where they send the 10 or 20 people on the one-way mission to Mars? Well, that's not NASA. That's a step that's like a private yeah. thing. Are they? But do you think that they're no? Actually I do not that's... think that they're going to do it. I think that I, I do not think that they're going to be able to get together the kind of money that would be necessary to do that. Um, I don't think. They, I, they, yes, astonishingly, just... they have the more people than they can that they know what to do. Yes, with. lots of people want to do it. Uh, but no one, I, no one will want to pay for it. The only reason so many people want to do it is because there are so many people. So if you start, if you have any preposterous yeah. idea, you can find eleven people who will do it, uh, as long as you have the money to pull it off. So people, yeah, people well, like I want to be the first person to die on Mars. Uh, that way, people will, will remember me, and I won't have to go through the stupid progression of life where I just graduate from high school and then college and then get married and have kids and then wrinkle up and die. I want to be a Mars man. But, you know, and some, some people have, have to get over that and be all right with the fact that they're going to die here on Earth like everyone else so far. Well, that's a, that's a cheerful... That's how we always, we always like to bring it back around to death here on Dear Hank and John. Well, can I bring it back to life? Because I watched Star Talk oh. with Neil deGrasse Tyson the other day. And I'll tell you, but for two reasons. One, because it's great. And two, because my dog Zelda loves watching Neil deGrasse Tyson on television. She loves him and will come from anywhere in the house to sit there and watch Neil deGrasse Tyson. And that is true. She, she just sits there staring adoringly at him and sometimes will get up on the, and once knocked the television over in her attempts to get at Neil deGrasse Tyson and kiss him. So, and it's only Neil deGrasse Tyson. She knows the sound of his voice. She knows his face and she will come from any corner of the house to get near him. Um, but I was watching that with the dog who was thrilled and they were talking about the Mars missions, and one of the people on Star Talk was said, "We will probably know within the next twenty years whether or not there's. We'll get the soil samples, and we will know whether or not there's life on Mars." Mm-hmm. And it, does that excite you? Are you a betting on this? Are you like, yes, I think there is. Um, I don't think so. That the getting a negative is very hard. So, like knowing for sure that there isn't life on Mars. Mm. Um, so what really they're saying is that it's very likely that there is mm-hmm. or was. And that we will, and that that uh, if if it was uh, if it was widespread across the planet, which it probably was, uh, if there was life at all, then uh, then it will be pretty easy for us to figure that out. We just have to uh, we have to be able to do a lot of a lot more science than is easy to do remotely. So having a sample sent back to us or being there to do the science. Um, 
it's kind of necessary. And having a sample sent back to us is a lot easier than being there to, to do it uh, because it's not easy to live on Mars. Okay, follow-up question. Are there ghosts on Mars? No. All right. You seem pretty sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you seemed really sure about that. Yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel pretty confident that there aren't any ghosts on Mars. Well, I guess we'll find out. Will we? They have to go up there with, you know, like the ghost hunting shows have to go up there with their, you know, I felt ah. a cold spot and, you know, the, there's a breeze in the room. <laughs> I want to see ghost hunters on Mars. Then I'll know for sure, Hank. Then I'll know for sure. I have a scientific mind. Love you it. apparently are just ready to discount this whole, whole, just of whole cloth. Just say, I, I don't believe it, but not me. <laughs> show me, show me those electromagnetic readings with the little cookie thing. Then I'll be sure. Okay. I don't think you're thinking like a scientist, Hank. <laughs> I don't know how you do SciShow with, with like sloppy, sloppy reasoning like that. Just, yeah. I have a very closed mind, apparently, when it comes to whether or not there are ghosts in a place where there have never been people. Well, I guess we'll find out. Do you think maybe there are, there are like a little like Martian life form ghosts? Like if there were like one celled animals, there's or whatever they would be. Uh, Hank, there is literally a show called Space Ghost. Oh, I do believe that there is a space ghost. Oh, so the story changes. It's just, it's just he's not a ghost. He's space ghost. Isn't he? No. He's space, his name is space ghost. He, but he's not a ghost. It's a, it's a metaphorical name. He's a, he's a superhero. He's a, he's a fighter. He's space ghost. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, your, your highfalutin talk is not impressing anybody. You know, it just doesn't seem like you know very much about Space Ghost. I met Space Ghost, the voice of Space Ghost, um, and I got him to sign my wallet, and he was very kind to me. Uh, I met him at an anime convention when I was in college. Did you meet the voice of Brack? No, I didn't. Well, then this story isn't so great, is it? I really do like Brack a lot. Yeah, it was good. Brack. It was good. And the Angry Mantis. Yeah. Uh, what was his name? Mm. Mm. Big fan, huh? Mm. <laughs> oh, I hear the typing in the background. <laughs> Captain Google. Zorak. <laughs> Zorak. Yeah, Zorak. <laughs> I was trying to moan over the sound of the typing. <laughs> that's, that's always a good... That's always a good thing to do on a podcast. It's just moan to cover up your typing noises. Yeah, well, I mean, we have to we have to deceive the audience somehow, Maureen. <laughs> the magic of theater. Uh, and with and with that, it feels like it is about time to wrap up. Is there are there any final words that you would like for the audience of Dear Hank and John? Obviously, I, I've enjoyed being here, and oh, I hope that I hope it's been okay. Know that John is coming back. You know, in, in a while, to, it's going to be a while. Well, it'll be a while. I don't know how long the while will be. It rate this particular episode very highly. I think mm-hmm. just really just pump this one up as much as possible because tell all your friends. It would be funny to see John get a complex about this this episode. So that would be funny. Yeah, I mean, it was better than any previous episode of Dear Hank and John, and I cannot imagine what that is except that John is holding me back. I I've been saying this for years. <laughs> Oh, it's such a, such a clear truth. 
Thank you for watching this. Uh, thank you for listening. So, thank you for... <laughs> shut up. Have you, have you ever watched John make a video? Because this is how we do it over and over and over again. I was there the, pretty much the day John made his first video. Oh, wow. So, imagine what that was like. It Bad. took him like six hours and he was crying for three of those. All right. Thank you all for listening so much to this episode of Dear Hank and John, uh, but without John, and instead with Maureen Johnson. And remember, like this one more. Like this one more. Uh, thank you. Uh, we have an editor of this podcast. His name is Nicholas Jenkins. We have the theme music from Gunnarola. We have our special guest, Maureen Johnson, who you can find on Twitter. I think it's just at Maureen Johnson, right? Yes, it is. And uh, and I'm Hank Green. This has been Dear Hank and John. You can send us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. And as we say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome. Awesome.